0: Welcome to Motherhood on Tap, the podcast for mamas who laugh their way through the struggles of parenting. I'm Sarah Duncan. And I'm Pamela Walker-Dees.
1: Hey girl, hey. Hey.
0: We're recording this in the first week of the national COVID-19 quarantine.
1: Yes, I had yes. to get special permission to come over here, actually. What do we drink?
0: What alcohol are we drinking to kill the germs?
1: We're literally... Gin and juice. Yes. Yes. So, um, get on Pinterest, but it's gin, ginger ale, and some lime juice. Oh, girl, that's good. Isn't it?
0: I only took a little tiny sip earlier, so this is like a reverse real swig I've taken of it. That is really
1: good. I know. I found it on like a bunch of people had different variations, but I like the lime better than the lemon, I think. Because gin-based
0: cocktails are not all created equal. Some taste amazing and some taste like mouthwash.
1: I think it also has to do with the type of gin you use. Sarah has the gold stuff, the Tangeray.
0: Because a couple months back, I was like, you know what? I'm going to, if I'm going to get this, I'm going to get this. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm going to pay that extra 10 bucks and get the good stuff. Because yeah. if anyone who knows me has seen my bar, any bottle that I get to put down there usually lasts about two years. So the investment will last a while.
1: <laughs> yeah. She usually pulls something up and is like, well, we've had this a while. It's just to- this off. We need to finish drinking this. This is yummy. It is. That deserves another cheers. It does.
0: Yes, I did a good job. pink I'm going to have to get ginger ale and lime juice to make some of my own.
1: Can I share a really hilarious story from Always. this morning? So, I had to do, I had a doctor's appointment with my psychiatrist, but we had to do tele, mm-hmm. doc with it because of the virus. And- I have her up on my screen, and I'm talking to her. Got my little earbud in with my microphone. We're chatting. And up, tip-taps Aurora in her underwear and tap shoes. (laughs) And just tapping on my hardwood floors. Mommy, who are you talking to? And Mark's like, get back in here. She's like, who are you talking to, Mom? And I'm like, shh, stop. Stop. (laughs) And she, my daughter, thankfully, has kids. And she has such a great sense of humor. She's laughing. and, And then Aurora's just, like, tapping off. Tapping off. Like back to daddy. I'm sorry, Daddy, I want to talk to mommy. I wanted to show her my shoes and That's So they're having like dance withdrawals, <laughs> so every now and then it's like a breakout dance performance. As someone who was obsessed with dance
0: growing up, I can relate very deeply.
1: That is how coronavirus twenty twenty is going. Mm-hmm. Everyone hang in there. Be
0: safe. It sucks right now, but hopefully this will make a difference and make it so that we do not overwhelm our medical facilities.
1: And to stop the contagion and hopefully the virus will die out soon. I hope so. Oh, also, um, my husband, who has no chill, he decided to do a science project with the girls since we're trying to homeschool. Mm -hmm. Guess what they made today? What? Hand sanitizer. (laughs) You can sell that on the black market, too. (laughs) No. Like, what do y'all do? We're gonna make hand sanitizer. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm like, only my husband would do that. Oh,
0: well, let's have some distraction. Yes, what are our craps from the internet?
1: Well. The first one is something really hilarious. And when we could travel a week ago, which is weird. It doesn't seem it like it that far. so long ago now. I know. But we were in the mountains for Sabrina's dance competition. It's been
0: 84 years.
1: Oh, I know. And my dad and I started talking about the story we read online. And it's actually a North Carolina woman. Hmm. It's a woman from Roxborough. And for her 100th birthday... She wanted to go to jail to scratch that off the bucket list. What? Yes, it actually happened. And what's even better is she didn't let anybody else in on the joke. So this Roxborough woman celebrated her birthday in an unusual way. She wanted to have her 100th birthday in a jail cell. Get it, girl. So she is currently at Cambridge Hills Assisted Living Center. Her name is Ruth Bryant, and you cannot get past her without giving her giving her a hug first. Aww. Um, her birthday makes her an official. Is it called a centarian? Centarian. Centarian, and then so she's hundred.
0: And then people who make it to a hundred and ten are super
1: centarians. Really? mm Hmm. <laughs> Blows my mind. Anyway, I'm sorry. It's kind of like when I told my girls that read the the leprechaun things, and I was like, there's no female leprechauns. And they were like, what? Uh, Who was? Her friends and family gathered to celebrate, but they had no idea there would be a little delay in the birthday cake tradition. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, sirens blared as a deputy approached the birthday girl with handcuffs, saying, are you Miss Bryant? She replied with, it all depends on what you want. Oh, girl. And then he said, here's what I want. I want you. Which this, as I'm reading this, it sounds like it's going to go a different way. But it sounds
0: like he's going to take his pants off in a hot second, (laughs) which is also fun. (laughs) She
1: was in on the gag, including the charge that was leveled against her. She's never been to jail, but in honor of her 100th birthday, she checked an list heading to jail in handcuffs. Who knew that would be somebody's bucket list um, item? That makes
0: more sense now, because I thought it was, like, her family, like, took her to the jail and let her, like, (laughs) like, dropped her off. I'm like, so wait, how are they not in a, oh, she organized to get arrested. (laughs) She got the full experience.
1: Follow, Sarah. You felt that they were like they decorated the jail cell. Happy birthday, Nana, with balloons. Was it Pinterest perfect? <laughs> yes, you can how you can be. But the feisty Bryant fought her arrest, so she playfully kicked the deputies who threatened to add resisting arrest and assault to the charges. And the deputy said to her, don't kick me. I've got a bad knee, which she said, I've got two bad knees. Um, Her own daughter, Marion Oakley, had no idea the party would be like this. I know that she is 100 years old, but I didn't know. She paused and (laughs) startled by the siren that they'd be going this far. So all the fuss and bother and fun is Brian's way of blowing out 100 candles. In the jail cell, she had no cigarettes or jewelry, but she got one phone call and a jail ho- jailhouse portrait for the ages. So they did a mug shot for her. Yes. So if you go to the news article, she's like standing there with the mugshot. And then the other one is her having the orange jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. Um, she only spent a few minutes in the jail. Then they gave her the gift. She always wanted an orange jumpsuit. And it does. <laughs> and on the back it says Person County. That's the county that Roxborough is in in North mm. Carolina. And then she said, I'm in the jailhouse now. I finally got here. She laughed, dancing to her own song and showing people how to live like no one's watching. And then it it ends with this. And with yet another birthday hug, this time from the chief jailer, Bryant returned to the Sister Living Center, where residents, friends, and family were relieved to see she had done well during her stint in the big house. And they finished out her 100th birthday in a slightly more traditional way, with birthday cake and laughter.
0: Am I correct in assuming she is white? Yes. Not to, to- be a total Debbie Downer, but that's definitely one of the things where it's like, mm, white privilege a little bit.
1: I'm glad she had a you good had time. You had to take a funny story and go. Because it's
0: true.
1: <laughs> I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it like a feisty old lady wanted to do something really silly. And What I love is that she didn't tell her daughter and her daughter's like, WTF? What's going on? Because
0: I'm also envisioning it being like, you know how you hear about when serial killers are finally caught and their family and friends are like, we had no idea. They seem so normal. Like, she
1: managed to get away for a hundred years. But we got her. We got her (laughs) red-handed. All right. So the second one is eight personality traits of highly intelligent people. Go
0: ahead. I'm ready to be described. <laughs> I know you not would love even, this. Not
1: even close. And this actually comes from Ink Magazine or Ink Online, mm-hmm. INC. So I'm just saying it's a legit source. It's not like crack.com. Over on Quora, Q U O R A, I, I don't know exactly what it is. I feel like it's like a poll, like it's either like, I mean, let me go to it real quick. But anyway, they had pulled a. Um, They had more than 100 people answer the question, what are the common traits of highly intelligent people? And um, some users claim to know from personal experience. Others are just taking an educated guess. And then they compared it to what true science has found. Okay. And so this is what they learned. So, number one, they're highly adaptable. Okay. That makes sense. So, uh, for instance, they're flexible, able to thrive in different settings. One lady... Right, it's intelligent people adapt by showing what can be done regardless of the complications or restrictions placed upon them. And, I mean, you can see that in some pretty intelligent people in history that we look at, I think.
0: Yeah, and, that, and to me that also alludes to, I think, emotional intelligence as well. Instead of dwelling on, like, this is supposed to go this way and this was supposed to happen. It's like, okay, that didn't work. What do we do instead?
1: Yeah, and so science backs it up by psychological research... Saying, intelligence depends on being able to change your own behaviors in order to cope more mm-hmm. effectively with your own environment or make changes to the environment you're in. So, ding, ding. Yay, point. Point for Sarah for emotional intelligence. I'm a good emotional intelligence. I'm a good Can you tell we've watched a lot of Muppet Babies the last few days? Yes. Um, They understand how much they don't know. And I agree to this because I tell my own children, because Sabrina will say, Mom, I think you're the smartest person in the world. I'm like, honey, the older I get, the less I know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can feel the brain cells
0: dying. Uh,
1: The smartest folks are able to admit when they aren't familiar with a particular concept. Intelligent people are not afraid to say, I don't know. If they don't know, they can learn it. So that's... Actually, that's kind of my motto when I come to work. I actually recently changed jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Sarah and I no longer work for the same company anymore. Yeah, but I I am learning something somewhat new and somewhat not. I don't know how to describe it. Um, intelligent people, I already said that. Okay, so this is backed up by a classic study, which found that the less intelligent you are, the more you overestimate your cognitive abilities. So I must be like super intelligent because I say I don't know a lot.
0: <laughs> and I think it may it may also be a combination of either you overestimate your abilities or you're trying to or you're trying to overcompensate. Yeah, like boost yourself. Yeah. Cover up for the fact that you may feel insecure about what you don't know.
1: Yeah, so Here's one example. Students who scored in the lowest quartile on a test adapted from the LSAT overestimated the number of questions they gotten right by nearly 50%. Meanwhile, those who scored in the top quartile slightly underestimated how many questions they had gotten right. I buy that. Yeah, yeah. That, that lines up to me. I know that there's times where I have said, I don't know, and then I sit here, and then I'll start thinking out loud and just sort of expressing, well, one way you can look at it is this blah, 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 and then someone's like, that's it. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. I'm like, oh, cool. Nailed it. I don't know how I came to that conclusion, but Mm I don't know. They have insatiable curiosity. Ding ding ding. This is ding. not
0: to ring our own bells or toot our own horns, but these are checking a lot of the boxes for the two of us. I know,
1: but I will say the insatiable curiosity can like get the best of us though. Like it's midnight and we've gone down five thousand rabbit holes because we were looking up one thing. And tell me if you feel this
0: too. Curiosity mixed with ADD.
1: Mm-hmm. And you it's have It's like really ten, hard to
0: be productive sometimes.
1: You have like 10 tabs open. You're like, so how does this connect to this connect to this? <laughs> so speaking so, of squirrel, what were we talking about? Yeah, so. Intelligence. We went down another rabbit hole. Ding, ding. <laughs> um, So Albert Einstein reportedly said, I have no special talents. I am only passionately curious. And then one of the people they polled said, intelligent people let themselves become fascinated by things others take for granted.
0: That. That seems fair, because there are certain things where I admit I have no interest in, and even if I, like, try to learn about them, like, just nothing absorbs. But if I find, if something catches my interest, I want to learn as much as I can about it.
1: Yeah, see, I'm that person where, like, okay, here's a good example. About two weeks ago, Sabrina said, Mom, are cats' whiskers part of their fur, or are they part of their face? And I was like, hmm it's a good question. And so here I am with my phone. I'm like, let's find out. And so she's like over my shoulder and we're like trying to find out. I guess it's a it's sort of like a fingernail to us Hmm. because they shed them like eyelashes. They shed them. So it's this type of hair, but it's Hmm. not like their fur because it's got nerve endings to it because that's how they at night. Yes, they do have good sight, but also that helps them feel out like if there was a something nearby or whatever. I just
0: learned like a week or two ago that the length of their whiskers is the same as the width of their body. Yeah, So yes. that they can tell
1: like this, if they can fit through so it. They fit through things or something's going to bump them at I night. thought that was the freaking coolest thing. Isn't it? Okay. So yeah. That <laughs> sent us down the rabbit hole, me and her. And he's, and Mark's like, what are y'all doing? I'm like, we're finding out if whiskers are, <laughs> and he just looks, <laughs> I love how he looks at us. like. Okay. Meanwhile, Aurora's okay. like, huh, what? She'll get there. Uh, but research, actually, a link, there's a link between childhood intelligence and open, openness to experience, which encompasses intellectual curiosity in adulthood. Scientists followed thousands of people born in the UK for 50 years and learned that 11-year-olds who scored higher on an IQ test turned out to be more open to experience at 50 years old. Okay. That makes sense. But the um, insatiable curiosity, all I have to say is whenever Trivial Pursuit breaks out, everybody fights over me. I hate to (laughs) brag, but everybody does. The only thing they know that I can't answer the science and math questions.
0: You're like, I'm so popular. Oh,
1: now everybody wants me. Okay, they're open-minded. I will say that that is definitely me and you. We're pretty open-minded people.
0: For the most part. I'm sure people could pull up many clips of me on this very <laughs> podcast where it's like, uh, Sarah, what about this thing?
1: Come oh, I'm sure that. somebody's – I, I know there's some things I have said that probably sounds really close-minded, but
0: – Yeah, but to me, open-mindedness is what paves the way for all the other things. If you're open-minded, you seem it's – you're probably more willing to learn, you're more willing to be curious, whereas if you are like, no. This is what it is. And you spend time actively blocking out anything that doesn't line up with
1: yeah. That's what you specifically
0: me. think or believe.
1: Right. Yeah. So what it says here is smart people don't close themselves off to new ideas or opportunities. So similar Ooh. to what you're saying. One person they polled said, uh, intelligent people are willing to accept and consider other views with with values and broad mindedness. Boom. And that they are open to alternative solutions, which I can definitely say I'm like that. Like, I I will listen to everybody's opinion. I think there's been a couple of episodes where me and you are talking, and I'm like, yeah, I disagree with you. And you're like, you do. And I'm like, yeah, this is what I feel. And then we're both like, oh, okay. No argument. No one's jugular was clawed out or anything. No, we both were just kind of like, oh, we didn't agree on that. Oh, that's interesting. Um, But psychologists say that open minded people. Those who seek out alternate viewpoints and weigh the evidence fairly tend to score higher on the SAT. I doubt that because my SAT score sucked. And on intelligence tests. At the same time, smart people are careful about which ideas and perspectives they adopt. An intelligent mind has a strong aversion to accepting things on face value and therefore withholds belief until presented with ample evidence.
0: You can't believe anything that's just posted on Facebook. You have to go double check it.
1: What? You mean because there's a link there? It's not true? I had to actually
0: stop and think about stuff and investigate for
1: myself. Ugh. You're, you're going to laugh at this one. They like their own company. <laughs> Hashtag introverts? Yes. Yay! We tend to be very individualistic. hmm Or... I mean, highly intelligent people tend to be... No, um, we tend to we, be hair toss. Woo! curls toss. I will say, the way that the weather has been, what I'm really mad about is I'm stuck in my damn house and my curls have been quite on point lately.
0: <laughs> I know. It has been good hair weather lately. <laughs> Sorry. Crazy.
1: <laughs> it's really vain. I don't care. Um, research suggests smarter people tend to derive less satisfaction than most people do from socializing with friends.
0: I enjoy socializing with friends, but again, I get renewed and energized when usually, I'm alone. Yeah, alone or in quiet situations. Yeah. Whereas being around a lot of people, I can enjoy it. I do enjoy it, but it makes me tired. It drains me. They have high self control. Mm, that's where they lose me. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I try, but I'm I'm kind of equating self control with self discipline. Yeah. In that respect, I would say I'm
1: not, I don't check that box. Well, let's see. So one person polled wrote, um, they're able to overcome impulsiveness by planning, clarifying goals, exploring alternative strategies, and considering consequences before they begin. Not always for me.
0: Well, I try to. I guess maybe I've learned some of those habits as a way to combat my squirrel brain.
1: I think for my own anxiety, I do try to do a lot of pros and cons. Because mm-hmm. if I don't, then I'll either be incapacitated with fear about the decision. Yeah, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Or I'll just say, fuck it, and just pick something yeah. out of the wind, and it's the wrong choice. Um, But researchers say that one area of the brain, the anterior prefrontal cortex Mm -hmm. might play a role in helping people solve tough problems and demonstrate self-control while working toward goals Mm. number seven they're really funny so intelligent people by one person said they have a great sense of humor Mm
0: -hmm. i will say i'm not i myself am not always funny but i can appreciate the funny
1: so, here's the a, here's a research behind it. So, one study found people who wrote funnier cartoon captions scored higher on measures of verbal intelligence. Another study found professional comedians scored higher than average on measures of verbal intelligence. Which I believe that because there's a lot of comedians out there that are actually white smart.
0: Yes. And there are people who are, who've made their living in observing
1: people and finding humor in a situation. Yeah. And then lastly, they're sensitive to other people's experiences. Check, check. I think we can high five on that one. We got the empatheticness. So some psychologists argue that empathy, being attuned to the needs and feelings of others and acting in a way that is sensitive to those needs is a core component of emotional intelligence. Emotionally intelligent individuals are typically very interested in talking to new people and learning more about them. So, yes because Mark will say that. He's like, you. how can you say you're introverted? Because you love meeting new people. I'm like, that's different. I want to learn about new people. I want to. Are you like me in that
0: you like talking to people, but you don't like superficial conversations?
1: I hate superficial conversations. I hate chit chat. It's like the worst. Yeah. I hate small talk. How are you doing? How's the weather? How are things going with this? How are things going with that? And it's like, like, let's just get to the meat of yeah, this like, topic.
0: As, as soon as I'm talking to someone and we find some kind of mutual thing that we can really talk in depth on, I'm like, okay, yes.
1: Yes. Like, you're that I'm person. having a good time.
0: Yes. And I'm just like,
1: yeah, it has been cool out. But then when someone says, I love history and true crime.
0: Did we just become best friends? Yeah.
1: <laughs> right? Okay. So that is my what was it eight traits of highly intelligent people but that's our craps yay Are we ready to jump into our topic? I am. Are
0: you? I am. I'm very excited about this. Pamela's been asking for this one for a while. Well, because I
1: had fun with the last one. I did, too. Um, So I will let you do the lead-in for this one. Okay, so we are doing another Badass Moms episode because March is Women's History Month. Yay! Yay! And we're recording it in March, and I don't know if we'll put this out in March probably i'll
0: try to bump it up so that i can put it out before the
1: end of march yeah we have
0: magic in the editing room
1: we can make stuff happen i was i was actually thinking like sarah you control the files you edit whatever you want because okay. i don't have those magic skills <laughs> 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 so any so do i go in first sure oh well so when I suggested it this time around, I was like, Sarah, it's nas- It's like National Women's History Month. We've got to do Badass Moms or something about women in history. And so she's like, okay. But one little note from last time. Their contribution to history has to tie in with somehow of them being a mother. Correct?
0: Yes. And it can go above and beyond that, but...
1: The motherhood has to be... Some sort of inspirational point of it. Yes, some kind of key component to the story. Yes, and so when she said that, I went, damn.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Crap, Sarah just wrecked all the fun
1: again. So I started making a list of, like, all the women that I admire and, like, I don't know if they're moms or not. So then I start looking and doing research and some of them are way back in history where... You can't find out if they have children or not. Mm -hmm. There was a couple of women that were like, oh, they're fascinating. Oh, they're moms. Let me read some more about it. And it was like, they were horrible mothers, even though they were like giving to the rest of the world. (laughs) Like, I read a couple of interviews for a few people that were like, yeah, she wasn't that good of a mother. She and she enjoyed other people's children is basically some of the things. So,
0: yeah, I remember having that same feeling about when I learned about uh, John Adams Great man, really douchey father. Yes, very douchey father. Which, weirdly, he was a very good husband. He and his wife had a very good relationship, but just he was a
1: dick to his children. But was that a societal thing back then? It might have been.
0: So that that is the journey Pamela had to go on to this. I'm sorry.
1: But it led me to this wonderful woman for an organization that I've heard about my whole life. Because it came about... When I was a child, mm-hmm. and um, it's important to me. I I'm, I'm going to say yes. We are a show where we have alcoholic beverages, but we drink responsibly. Mm-hmm. So that's my lead into this because I am cover. I am going to discuss Candy Lightner, who is the who was the founder of Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Yes, Queen. And another reason that this hits me. Pretty personally, as my oldest sister was hit by a drunk driver Mm. uh, when she was, I feel like I was a sophomore or senior in high school. It was a very long time ago. Oh, my god! The day after Christmas, he was drunk. He had no headlights on. She did not see him. Her car was, literally the back of her sedan was like twisted oh my gosh three tires were busted somehow she made it to a church parking lot because she just wanted to go somewhere that was well lit Uh so she drove a little bit and they were like we don't even know how because the axle had like gotten twisted because he hit from behind she had lots of bruises and a few like cuts and scrapes on her but she was not majorly injured thank goodness Um, um though the officer said if he hit her on the driver's side, but the pass, but the back seat. But so. the officer said, if he had truly had T-boned her, she would not have probably made it. So, in a nutshell, he abandoned the car with his license and registration <laughs> still in it. He was arrested. He pleaded down. Walked away. But his insurance had to pay for my sister, a new car, and her medical bills and everything else. I'm glad that she
0: was okay. That's the most important thing. That's the most important
1: thing. But I will say that that got me into organizations like this Mm -hmm. and um, kind of became very passionate about it. So when I would see friends drinking, there would be times where I would just be like, I'm just going to stay sober and drive everybody. And Mm -hmm. it became less of a joke and more of a serious thing on my mind. And
0: you are a very, very, very good friend for doing
1: that. Oh, I still do it. I'm still like, yeah, we're, you're going to, okay, so I'm going to, and then like I stay at, I probably overstay my welcome here at Sarah's, but I have to dry out because I'm not going to drive home.
0: Because as as I always tell Pamela, if you drive home and get in an accident or something and you die, I'm going to have to find another co-host and that's just a lot of work that I don't want to have to put into this. So it's all about me. Yeah.
1: She just doesn't know if there's going to be the right person that can come up with all the good topics. And, I mean, for goodness sakes, do the website stuff. I know. And, like,
0: who else is going to get all the good craps off the Huffington Post? I mean, come
1: on. Find all the weird, bizarre news. Slash, I would also be really sad and would miss you. Yeah. Yeah, My family would, too. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, Candy Lightner was born Candace Doddridge. Oh, by the way, I got this off of uh, Biography.com straight, like completely off of that website.
0: I like that name, Candace Doddridge.
1: I know, Doddridge. Sounds
0: like a woman who has like a presence to
1: her. And it's Candace with an A, like Candace Cameron. Candace. Yeah, Candace. She grew up in California. Her father served in the Air Force and then her mother worked on base as a civilian. And then she attended American River College in Sacramento. So that's basic basic childhood information. Um, She worked as a dental assistant for a little bit of time. But then she married uh, U.S. Air Force Officer Steve Lightner. They had three children together. So twins, Carrie and Serena. And then a son named Travis. Before they divorced. So they divorced. After they divorced, she moved with her children to Fair Oaks, California. Not to be confused with Four Oaks, North Carolina, because when I first started typing it, I was typing Four Oaks, and then I was—I looked back and I was like, "No, it's Fair Oaks." That—that's
0: about three thousand miles off.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. Where she was a real estate agent, and then the date on this really just killed me. But uh, May third, nineteen eighty, which is actually my husband's actual birthday, May third, nineteen eighty. Happy birthday, Mark. Yes. Um. Sadly. Her life changed forever when her 13-year-old daughter Carrie was hit by a car while walking to a church carnival with a friend. No. And then I also started bawling because um a friend of mine in middle school when we were 11, he was hit by a car. The, the it wasn't a drunk driver, they actually stopped to see, but he was he was killed cuz they just he was wearing dark clothes and it was it was in December and anyway. Um so it it struck a little few nerves in there. <laughs> She was struck with such force that she was knocked out of her shoes and thrown 125 feet. Holy shit. I felt like I have to explain that. Like, I feel like I needed to include that. Like, I kind of sat there like, do I need to include that little tidbit? But I think I felt like I needed to to understand
0: how... It paints the picture of how extreme the situation was. Yeah, like he, this he hit her. a little her. bump.
1: Yeah, he hit her with this force. Um, and then she died not long after the accident. The driver that hit her never stopped. And they learned later that he was drunk at the time of the accident. Um, actually, that wasn't the first man's drunk driving accident. He had been arrested earlier. They, now, it said earlier. I'm assuming earlier that day. Because it didn't say earlier, like in the week or something. But it said arrested earlier for another incident related to drunk driving.
0: Either way, it's...
1: And he just got out and just kept going. Not a good it. situation. Um, Police officers told Candy that the driver would probably receive little to no prison time for killing Carrie. And so she became enraged, which... She should. She should. She decided to do something with that anger and fight against drunk driving. So uh, during an interview with People magazine, she said, Death caused by drunk drivers is the only socially acceptable form of homicide. This was the 80s, people. I don't know if... Which is,
0: you know, I... It's I'll, of, I'll get to it in a minute. I don't want to interrupt your story,
1: but it's just... Mm. Yeah. Um, so four days after Carrie's death, Lightner started up a grassroots organization to advocate for stiffer penalties for drunk driving. Uh, she, she quit her job at the moment, used all of her savings to begin Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, which she later named Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Before starting Mad, Leitner had been uninvolved in social reformer politics. Um, She even said that she wasn't even registered to vote. But later that year, she joined forces with another woman named Cindy Lamb, whose daughter had been left paralyzed by a drunk driving accident. They both went to Washington, D.C. that October to raise awareness about the issue of drunk driving. Then she later visited co- uh, then-California Governor Jerry Brown's office every day until the governor started a state commission on drunk driving. Fuck yes, Queen. She was one of the first... I'm getting goosebumps reading this. Like This is the kind of human she, that I aspire to be. Yes, like she's the mother bear that I want to be. Yes. Yes.
0: Because it's it's so easy to get deterred by people saying, you know, just we can't get to that right now. Just, no have to have enough fire in your belly and enough belief in something that you're like, no,
1: I'm standing here until this gets the attention it deserves. And it's not like she wasn't doing it for just her daughter. She was doing it for everyone's child. Yeah, she
0: didn't want, I could feel that they didn't want anyone else to feel the pain that they had gone through.
1: Yes. So when he appointed the commission, she was the first person to be appointed to it. Nice. So he actually acknowledged her effort. And that's fantastic,
0: because I feel like it'd be easy to just be like, oh, yeah, we got a commission going. You can go away now. Yeah. Like, no, we're going to involve you, now, which means we're actually going to try to do something. Yeah.
1: We're, you can go away. You can quiet now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, lecturing and, lob- and lobbying across the country, she became a leading activist on this issue. And then, Pre- then President Ronald Reagan appointed her to the National Commission on Drunk Driving in 1984. Awesome. So through MAD, Leitner helped get a new anti-drunk driving legislation passed in individual states and nationally. One of the group's most significant accomplishments from this time was the national law that raised the legal drinking age to 21. I remember my parents telling me, I remember that, like, I forget what year that happened. I could Google it. Um, But I remember my parents were talking about that.
0: When it went from 18 to 21? Yeah,
1: I remember being a little kid and, like, it wasn't any significance. And then now that I'm an adult and I'm like wow, that happened 30, 40-some years ago? Like, that wasn't that long ago. Yeah,
0: I always forget that it wasn't always 21.
1: Well, I mean, they just recently raised tobacco to 21. Leitner, uh, her activism also inspired her daughter, Serena, so Carrie's twin, Mm -hmm. to form Students Against Drunk Driving. I've heard of that one also, Sad. So um, Leitner left the organization she founded in 1985 amid allegations of financial mismanagement. Mad was accused of spending too much money on fundraising instead of on programs. So no matter the reason for her departure, she had she helped develop Mad into an international movement during her tenure. She told CNN that the group had nearly 400 chapters across the globe and gained 2 million members within the first three years. Wow. So that means something. that, And she probably, it's, it's like until something that tragic happens to you... Then suddenly you start to find the other people. And some of those people didn't want to speak up or didn't have a voice. Yeah. Or they just were told that's the way it is. Or couldn't or didn't have the money to fight or something. Something just put that wall up.
0: Yeah. The the thing that came to mind when you said, how many members was it within three years? Two million. I would say that probably means the vast majority of those people Knew someone or were related to someone who had been hurt yes. or killed by a drunk driver. Yes, and that sadly, that number does not surprise me at all.
1: No. So after Mad, she continued to work as a social activist and public speaker. Um, she wrote a book in 1990 called "Giving Sorrow Words: How to Cope with Grief and Get on with Your Life." Four years after that, so in 1994, she found herself. Now I found this interesting. In 94, um, she became under fire because she agreed to work as a lobbyist for the liquor industry. Mm -hmm. She explained to the Chicago Tribune that she didn't see the liquor industry as the enemy. They're just as affected by drunk driving as anyone else. Drunk driving certainly doesn't enhance their business.
0: I agree with her. I do agree with that. It's just like anything else, you know. Money in and of itself is not an evil thing. It's what people choose to do with it that can make it a force for evil. It's the
1: education of when you're drunk, this is what happens when you get behind the wheel of a car. Mm -hmm. It is basically an assault weapon. And then now these days, she has been sharing her expertise as an organizer and campaigner through her company, CL & Associates. She is also the president of We Save Lives, a nonprofit to address issues of public safety. But she also continues to be a advocate and community leader against drugged, drunk, and distracted driving. So mm-hmm. it has evolved over time from drunk driving. And I think distracted
0: driving is probably something that's made... It's very
1: relatively new.
0: Yeah, probably within the last 10 years as yes. smartphones have become... Yes. Or really since texting became a thing. I think...
1: But, like, the the thing that gave me the chills the most was that she showed up every day to the governor's office until yeah. he listened to her. That sounds like Oof. something I would do. Yeah. Like, I would just sit there. You will listen to me. Mm-hmm. So that's Candy Lightner. And she is just... She is a badass mother. She is. She is. That is a badass mom.
0: And I feel like a lot of the work that she and the organization did has really been effective because... Almost since I can remember, I've seen so many programs, both in school, on TV, and commercials about have a designated driver, don't drink and drive.
1: Even, like, all the beer commercials have the, at the end, they always have the announcer say, please drink responsibly. Exactly. I mean, there's always something to put that little bird in your ear. And I feel like, at least
0: among the people that I socialize with, there's a common understanding of not only is that something bad to, to do, but calling a taxi or calling an uber or getting someone to drive you home whatever it might cost is safer and less expensive than a ticket or court costs
1: or killing someone or absolutely
0: yeah it's something that's ingrained in us you're supposed to ask for a ride you're supposed to arrange for a ride ahead of time when you're still sober you're supposed to look out for your friends like it's mm-hmm. i I feel like that wasn't necessarily the case when oh her daughter it probably was wasn't hit. It's obviously a problem that still exists to this day, but I feel yes. like the culture around it has significantly shifted.
1: So that is one badass mom. Who's your mom?
0: The person that I would like to talk about, my badass mom, is someone else with a... Also has an awesome name. Eustacia Cutler. I know. When you put
1: Eustacia, I was like, all right, get it. So I don't know. Do you know who uh, Temple Grandin is? I do. I do. She's a big advocate for um, autism. Autism, because there was a HBO movie that had like Claire Danes playing portraying her, right? Yes, that was. Yes. A, it was a very good movie. Yes, and
0: that's when I really first learned about both Temple and Eustacia. Actually, was when I watched that, and that's sort of how I became fascinated with the mother-daughter relationship there. So Temple Grandin, as Pamela said, is an autistic woman who is best known for her groundbreaking work in the meat and livestock industries, especially around animal welfare within those industries, and also being one of the first individuals on the autism spectrum to document her insights on living with autism. Mm. So actually taking her experience and helping doctors and scientists learn how to how to address the illness and how to help other people with it. So even though Temple is an extraordinary woman in and of herself, much of her success was made possible because of the advocacy of her mother. Okay. So that is who we're going to talk about today. Let's do this. So I, weirdly enough, was not able to find a birth date for her, but Anna Eustacia Purvis, Purves or Purvis, one or the other was born in either the late 1920s or early 1930s. Um, So Eustacia was actually born into wealth and privilege, and her father co-invented the autopilot aviation system. Dang. So they were rolling in money. Yeah. Yeah, so her childhood was very much like, you know, lavish wealth, country clubs. I think she grew up in... um, New England, so very, like, sort of...
1: Cape Cod. Yeah, that kind...
0: If you imagine that, that's kind of her childhood. We
1: summer at the beach. Yeah, she, she definitely at summered. At
0: yeah. <laughs> so much summering. But she- beyond that, she was very, very intelligent woman. She actually earned a BA from Harvard University. Go, girl. And went on to be a band singer at the Pierre Hotel in NYC. And she wrote and performed works for the NYC Cabaret. So she's someone who was intelligent, well round, well rounded, artistically gifted, just a pretty Def- baller fi- woman. So um, Eustacia married Richard McCurdy Grandin, a real estate agent and heir to America's largest corporate wheat farm business. Well, he was literally
1: so, rolling in. So a he tomb. was rolling
0: in a tube. Um, The couple eventually divorced around 1962, and she later went on to marry renowned saxophonist Ben Cutler. So that's where the last name Cutler came from. Ah. So, as a mother and advocate, um, Eustacia had four children, the eldest of which was Temple Grandin, who, as we said at the beginning, was autistic. So Temple was born in the late 1940s, and she was actually nonverbal for her first two years of life. Oh, dear. So when Eustacia took her daughter to the doctor for further examination, Temple was given the broad diagnosis of brain damage.
1: They... Right, but I don't know how they... Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. there is, there was obviously
0: way less known about both uh, autism, autism spectrum... Disorder is what that general classification is known as. And also, there was way less knowledge about mental illness in general, even though it's not a mental illness. Both of those were very much lumped together at that time. As brain damage. I would
1: have thought that they, I was waiting for you to say she was deaf because she didn't Mm -hmm. make any verbal sounds.
0: Yeah, so autistic children in the 1950s, they were actually very commonly misdiagnosed as infant schizophrenics, just as a result of their erratic behavior which just breaks my heart. So for anyone who doesn't know, I did include a definition of what autism is, and I got this from autismspeaks.org. Which is a great organization. Yes. Uh, Quote, Autism or autism spectrum disorder refers to a broad range of conditions characterized by challenges with social skills, repetitive behaviors, speech, and nonverbal communication. According to the Centers for Disease Control, Autism affects an estimated 1 in 59 children in the US today. Several factors may include the development Several factors may influence the development of autism, and it is often accompanied by sensory sensitivities and medical issues such as gastrointestinal disorders, seizures or sleep disorders, as well as mental health challenges such as anxiety, depression, and attention issues. Now,
1: I have heard about the gastrointestinal because There are several studies done out there about changing the diet Mm -hmm. has actually lessened the symptoms or even completely, like, flipped them around.
0: So, actually, because both the limited information at the time and just as everything developed, Temple was actually never formally diagnosed with autism until she was in her 40s. Wow. But I'll get to more on that in a second. So the standard practice in the 1950s was to institutionalize children with autism. And this was the medical advice given to Temple's parents. So this caused a major rift between Eustacia and her husband, as he was keen to follow the medical advice that they were given, while Eustacia opposed institutionalizing Temple because it would likely mean never seeing her daughter again. Absolutely. Because back at this time, it was not uncommon for people to literally just put them in a room and throw away the key.
1: And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think with um, some states, you had to surrender, like, parental rights when you institutionalized them.
0: I've never heard that, but it wouldn't surprise me, honestly.
1: So, (laughs) instead of locking her daughter away in an institution,
0: Eustacia took Temple to the world's leading special needs researchers at Boston Children's Hospital. With their help, Temple received speech therapy and was educated individually by a nanny during her first years of life, who would just do these specialized Mm -hmm. speech and different kinds of exercises over and over and over and over again with her. And eventually that did help her to be able to speak and communicate and to start to catch up. So I'm severely glossing over Temple's story because she's written many books and stuff about her story, and she's a very fascinating one. But um, while Temple was in her mid-teens, Eustacia stumbled across a diagnostic checklist for autism. And after reviewing the checklist, she believed that Temple's symptoms were best explained by this disorder. And she later devoted herself to learning everything she could about autism. It's interesting that even though she was never officially diagnosed until what, her 40s? That her mother was the one who Kind of had that realization early on of, oh, I think this could probably be what what she's oh, dealing with. You
1: know, I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. Y- you know when something is amiss? I won't say wrong, but you know when something's yeah. off? Yeah. And I'll say at least with Aurora and Brianna, I knew something was wrong with them digestive-wise because they weren't gaining weight. I was trying to feed them, but they were struggling. And you know, it was two different things. One had severe GERD. The other one had a milk protein allergy. But I knew something was yeah amiss.
0: I've heard someone say that the best investigators in the world are not PIs, not detectives, not investigative journalists. It's mothers whose children have some kind of health problem.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: blah, 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 blah. Eustacia and Richard divorced in 1962, shortly after Temple was expelled from school for throwing a book at another student who was taunting her. So, I- so that goes back like to the the behavioral things yeah. of they don't know how to read social cues or they don't un- understand and react to social cues the same way. And so it's,
1: yeah. To be honest with you, someone's taunting me. I might throw a book at them. So oh, hell yeah. I don't mean, blame her. I don't think that's an autistic
0: thing. Yeah. And something else, and again, it's something I sort of glossed over was her mother pushed her entire childhood for her to try to have as normal a childhood as possible. That's good. She wanted her to go to, go to school, even if it was a school for people with behavioral Mm -hmm. issues or behavioral disorders, things like that. She still wanted her to be in a school environment. She didn't want her to be someone who was just brushed to the side and told to go away quietly where you're you don't bother anyone. Yeah. Uh, Because of the tenacity of her mother, Temple Temple went on to achieve great things, including earning a PhD in animal science and publishing over 20 books and peer-related papers on the subjects of livestock, and autism so she's really an expert in multiple fields both in her own experience with her behavioral disorder as well as what she's researching with animals and the interesting thing and i thought this was a fascinating part of the movie when i watched it about her was she got into the area of studying livestock because she realized that her brain worked very similarly to the animals a lot of the sensory things that bothered her Also, bothered the animals. Hmm. So, she found ways to improve their environments that they were calmer, they felt more at ease, they weren't as likely to get injured from panicking and things like that because she saw the world very similarly to how they did. Eustacia and Tipple have greatly advanced what we know about autism and continue to be important resources and role models for the global autistic community. I personally can't imagine what it is like and how difficult it is to be the parent of a special needs child.
1: Yeah. Especially
0: during a time when doctors knew so little about the disorder and society just wanted to shut away anyone who had autism spectrum disorders or mental illness. Just basically anything where you couldn't just sit quietly and do what you were told. Yeah. One of the books that Eustacia wrote, I forget what it's called. I think it's called The Thorn in My Pocket or something like that. She writes about what it was like trying to care for and raise an autistic child in basically the 1950s leave-it-to-beaver social environment. Yeah, children are seen, not
1: heard.
0: Yeah, and the struggle that she went through with that and also just her experience. Because any kind of behavioral spectrum disorder it's difficult not only on the person who has it, but oh, the family, family in general. Sure, sure, yeah. So a lot of what she uh, lectures on and shares with people is how to support the rest of the family as mm-hmm. well as the person with the illness. Yeah. So Eustacia has conducted groundbreaking research on autism and written numerous books about the illness and her experience as the mother of an autistic child. She currently lectures all over the world on autism, autism, autism research and the impact autis- autism can have on entire families as i just said um she has also hosted a series called conversations with eustacia cutler where she interviews autism experts from around the world these interviews as well as more information on eustacia and temple can be found online on the temple grandin eustacia cutler autism fund website
1: <laughs> Ooh! mouthful
0: it's long. But if you if you look up either of them, it's pretty much the first link that comes up on gotcha. Google. So that's my badass mom. Ooh. I love how both of the women we chose were really badass at the kids. Yes. And fighting for their daughters. Yes.
1: Ladies. Ladies
0: helping ladies. Whew. Now I'm feeling emotional and empowered all at the same time.
1: Ugh, girl. I, I do. Do we have time? I have one little one that... I was yes, going to cover. Okay. So there was one that I wanted to, I was going to do. There's not a whole lot of information on her because this happened. She was a former slave, but her name was Clara Brown. Okay. And the reason I, I love her is she was basically the first female. I mean, I say first female pioneer in Colorado, but wow. they tell her as the first black female mm-hmm. pioneer. Um, they even call her, like, the form grandmother of Colorado. Wow. So, just briefly, she was born um, into slavery in Virginia in 1800. At nine years of age, she and her mother were sent to Kentucky. By the age of 18, she married and subsequently gave birth to four children. At 35, she was sold by her owner at auction and separated from her husband and children. She was freed by her third owner in 1859. She then came to Denver to work as a cook on a wagon train in exchange for her transportation. Brown is reportedly the first black woman to cross the plains in, during the gold rush. Wow. So when she was in Colorado, she lived in Central City, and she established the first laundry. Mm. She's got a lot of firsts. She's checking off this checklist. So. She
0: is a business renaissance she was, woman. You
1: know what I love is that she got her freedom, and she was, was going to live it. By 1866, she had accumulated over $10,000 and began to actively search for her family. So that was her goal, was to get money and to find her kids. Oh, yes. So in the process, she helped uh, newly freed slaves to uh, relocate to Colorado. She was known as Aunt Clara Brown. Her profits in mines and real estate grew, and she became more charitable, never turning away anyone in need. So she purchased um, mines and real estate, but with her money, she gave back. You can't see me, but I'm nodding
0: vigorously like, hell yes, woman.
1: With the death of two of her four children and having lost track of her son, Brown returned to Kentucky in an attempt to locate her surviving daughter, Liza Jane. When Jane returned to return to Colorado, she brought with her 16 freed women and men, but was unable to locate her lost daughter at this time. But sometime between 1866 and 1885, when Brown died, sometime before she died, she was reunited with Eliza Jane and her Mm. granddaughter, Cindy.
0: I can't imagine what it was like for families back then just to be, you know, okay, we're going to separate you and You'll probably never see each other again, but I'm so glad that they were able to find each other.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, back then, like, it was so hard to keep track of people, especially if they moved more than, like, five miles away.
0: There is no getting on the internet or calling people up and be like, hey, have you seen Blah Blah? You had to go physically venture out and Which try to find people.
1: weeks. She was onver- onver- <laughs> <laughs> honored by the Denver community and made a member of the Society of Colorado Pioneers. And in her honor, a memorial chair was placed in Central City's Opera House and a stained glass window can be found in the rotunda of the Colorado State Capitol, Clara, and this is this is right off of Colorado's Women's Hall of Fame, and underneath this snippet are like a ton of books mm-hmm. for her. So there is a lot of information, but like I said, I couldn't dig in deep because mm-hmm. it would be like a four-hour episode. But <laughs> I wanted to mention her because I don't hear you know you hear about her, and I'm saying that they're they're also significant too. Uh-huh. You heard about, like, Harriet Tubman. I almost did so to join joiner truth. Yes, who is also amazing. Which, and, and one thing that I didn't know about her that was amazing was that she was the first woman, not just black woman, but woman, or even, and she was still enslaved at the time, to win a court case. Her son was sold mm-hmm. at a slave auction. She went to court and won him back. Wow. And that had never been done before. She fought, yeah. and she got her son back. So I was like, "That's an impressive story." But then I was like, "That's out there." So hell yes. So there's a little tidbit. Look up, use some Aunt Clara Brown.
0: I've never heard of her, but I love that story.
1: And her and her face is just. She has a face of like, "I'm getting it done." Mm-hmm. If I can unplug my computer. Oh hell yeah
0: she looks like she does not suffer fools and she does not have time for your bullshit
1: (laughs) she does not have time for this (laughs) so i
0: definitely imagine that we will be doing more badass mothers episodes in the future
1: these are fantastic because sabrina was like what are y'all gonna talk about tonight What are you gonna record tonight and so i told her and she was like there's a women's history month so
0: definitely make the most of women's history month and go learn about someone that you'd never heard of before Broaden your horizons. Make yourself more intelligent, like us. I know. Apparently. Like, m-
1: remember, be open-minded and insatiably curious. Yeah. Be amazing, like we are. Woo! As we
0: toss our short. As I <laughs> awkwardly grimace and toss my non-existent hair that's back in a ponytail. All
1: right. <laughs> I'm Sarah Duncan, and I'm Pamela Walker Dees. bye. Bye bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Our theme music is by Yov Aliagon. Be sure to check out the Motherhood on Tap page on Facebook. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to get the word out about
1: the show. You can subscribe and follow Motherhood on Tap on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most other podcast apps. If you have questions or funny stories, you can email us at motherhoodontap@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Partner with us on Patreon.com for special bonus episodes and help keep this podcast and the two of us in business. Till next next time. time!